Hey, this is Mark A. Altman from Inglorious Trexperts. And if you like our show, Inglorious Trexperts, you'll love Disco Nights with host Chase Masterson and special guests every week. All new episodes premiere every Thursday night wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Doctorman, and we're the Inglorious Trexperts. Captain's log, stardate 3142.3. Slightly over two centuries ago, a group of scientists planned for a race of supermen and created conquistadors. Name, Khan Nunian Singh. From 1992 through 1996, absolute ruler of more than a quarter of your world. Well, either choke me or cut my throat. You fled. Why? Were you afraid? I've never been afraid. But you left at the very time mankind needed courage. We offered the world order. I intend to take this ship. Will you assist me? Oh, please, Khan, don't ask me. Leave me, then. The battle begins again. Only this time is not a whirlwind. It's the universe. Lovely. You're no match for me. It does not matter. The captain is dead. Okay, welcome to a new episode of Inglorious Trexperts, where we're going to be talking about Star Trek's greatest villains. 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 You know, Mark, I think you're you're wrong about that. I think Star Trek had great antagonists. Uh-huh. They didn't really have villains. Now you sound like Gene, like Spock shouldn't be killing the Seti eel because it's a form of life we've never seen before and want to study it. You know, a villain is, a, is only an antagonist we don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't argue with Gene, so here we go. Welcome to Star Trek's Greatest Antagonists. I really should have Rob do that as the former voice of the XFL. Um <laughs> It's true, by the way. Uh, it is true. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, why don't you uh, take us in? Well, hi, by the way, I'm Robert Meyer Burnett here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> also, once again on this podcast, um, it's okay, I just beamed in, <laughs> uh, as I, I, I'm wont to do. So, well, you know, when Ladies I Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Burnett, <laughs> our special guest, is back to discuss- um, what, what I think about Star Trek's greatest antagonists- Yes. Uh, there, growing up watching Star Trek, I learned so many things, first of all, watching the original series. And I think Star Trek has a long history of having great a great antagonist. And I, I think about, you know, one of my favorites is Gold Dukat. He's another man's hero, Captain. You should see the monument they're erecting in my honor at the gateway to the Imperial Plaza. Is that why you sold out your people to the Dominion? For a monument? What I did... I did to make Cardassia strong again. And mark my words, Captain, I succeeded. You may have escaped defeat this day, but tomorrow. We will see about tomorrow. Yes, we will. From uh, Deep Space Nine, who who begins, Mark Lamo, who is a fantastic actor, who we first met as a Cardassian in... Uh, in, in the wounded, in the wounded, uh, in the fourth season of, yeah. of Next Generation, but then he was ob- clearly the reason they brought him back for Deep Space Nine as a different character was because one, he's a great actor, yeah, 
But watching his whole arc, I mean, he's basically a Nazi commandant, you know, yeah. and then... A lot better than Lloyd Bachner as the head of the Eastern Alliance. Sarcolactica. <laughs> 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 as face Nazis in Battlestar You're mixing metaphors here. I, I mean, he's a character that we, we meet in the very beginning of Deep Space Nine, and he survives all the way to the uh, last episode, and he... Sometimes he, he tried to become good for a while, and then he became co-opted by the Paw Wraiths, and then he, I mean, he's he just- He had a daughter. He had a daughter who was played by three different actresses, <laughs> Zial, uh, a, 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 you know, absentee father. Everything about that character, it, it, there's just a wide range of of things that he did, but but in the end, he was always trying to do what- I think he believed was right for his people. He was a nationalist. He was a nationalist. Yes, you know, he was. He, he was, was a like a uh... Cardassian nationalist. And uh, one of my favorite Star Trek, not villains, even though people would say sometimes he is a mustache, mustache twirling villain, but I thought he was a great antagonist. Uh, Alamo was a great actor, and what a great character. I, I completely agree. I mean, I feel like uh, Deep Space Nine was kind of built on the back of the Cardassians. You know, they were such, you know, if the Borg were, I guess, Next Generation's major villain, and the Klingons were the original show, and you know it's just like um, remarkable what he brought to that show. And Alemo was just sensational from the very beginning through through the end, and um, you know the, the 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 character arc that that character you know had, and you really thought that maybe he could be redeemed, and then ultimately he's not in the finale, but uh, just. Really, um, what the Deep Space Nine writers did with that character and just the world building of Cardassia uh, is really terrific. And then, of course, you had um, um, Combs, who uh, played so many different villains throughout his tenure on Star Trek. Wayun, uh, though, with, his multiple Wayuns. Wayun, and, and then, uh, <laughs> you know, um, later on playing an Andorian and Enterprise, uh, Shrall, um, who was not a villain. Tran. 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 Shrall. <laughs> tomato. Tomato. <laughs> but, you know, the Cardassians were great as they, uh, when they were introduced, they were great in, in Next Gen. But throughout Deep Space Nine, you know, at first you really hated them. Because of what they Terrence did to Bajor. Yawning, he's like, when are you going to get the con? But but but, <laughs> no, but the end, by Casey Biggs, who played Damar, yeah. uh, uh, Ducat's major domo, even him as he turns into this alcoholic who can't believe what's happened to his home world. And he's you like really... the John Kelly of uh, Star Trek universe. <laughs> you know, he's, 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 he, he works for, you know, this Nazi and uh, he's trying to do what's right, but he's getting dragged down with the. And look, I didn't start with a TOS antagonist here because I, I, I really think that Ducat is one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek history. And I, I just, You don't have to start with a TOS right. antagonist. That's I just thought that, that was something that was that was great. And I thought that Well he um, had seven seasons to define that role. Right. So, you know, compared to somebody like Khan who's in one episode in a movie, it's understandable that you would go and say, you know, look at this character. It's so rich. Right, and and I think that uh, it, it, it's so interesting to watch him as a performer. That's what's the strength of Deep Space Nine. I've always believed is the secondary characters, yes, all played by these wonderful. Not to say that the primary characters aren't great well, too. But one can argue that they're all secondary characters in Deep Space Nine. There is no Seriously. star on that yeah. show. It's all. It is truly the only Star Trek ensemble. Right. It's never a, st a star vehicle. You know, regardless of the fact that they said Next Generation was an ensemble, it was. The Picard yeah. Data Show, right? right? 
data Riker, you know, through the, yeah. the, the, the big three. Star Trek, obviously, was Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and as Shatner might say, the seven dwarves, right. you know, whereas um, Deep Space Nine, every character was the star of, of that show. There was, you know, it wasn't Avery's show more than it was Odo's show, more than it was Kira's show, right. more than it was Garrick's show. Right. No, it was great, great. Uh, There's so many great villains, and when they, the Dominion War started, I loved uh, Salome Jens coming in as the founder. I mean, she was great too. Uh, just, just great. God, I mean, I remember she had this weird ethereal presence in seconds. Right. You know, the John Frankenheimer movie, mm-hmm. and then to see her as a Star Trek alien. This is her second because wasn't she in the Chase also? Yes. Yeah, and God, she. She was great. She was great in the chase. Another Star Trek guilty pleasure, right? right? <laughs> and uh, and then, but boy, she was uh, something to be reckoned with in Deep Space Nine. And she had such a regal. You really believed that she was the leader of this formidable alien race that almost brought down the Federation. I mean, basically, it was just her. You never saw a bunch of other well, founders. What was that great line in the Homefront two-parter? You know, where they say. You know, everyone's freaking out and uh, basically, oh, my God, they're changelings on Earth and they're declaring martial law. And she says, look what we did. You know, well, we never had more than five people on Earth. Yeah, four or five and, people, yeah. And, 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 and we almost brought down the entire Federation. And you think, well, that's crazy, right? That could never happen, but, you know. A few well-placed tweets on social media. Right? I mean, you think <laughs> it's ahead of its time in terms of, you know, uh, fear you know, fear. Uh, it, it's it's you stoke fear and paranoia. I mean, we all look back and we laughed at the McCarthy era. We say, "Oh, that could never happen again." Unfortunately, those who don't learn learn from live, learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. Darren Doctorman. Yes. Villains. Villains. Well, I, I I'm gonna go with the term antagonists as well, um, but I am gonna go back to TOS, and I'm not going back to the one that you think I'm going to. Oh my. Um. I'm going to go back to the one that sort of inspired my favorite Star Trek movie, uh, the Nomad Probe. I am Nomad. I am perfect. That which is imperfect must be sterilized. You are in error. You did not discover your mistake. You've made two errors. You are flawed and imperfect. And you have not corrected by sterilization. You've made three errors. Error. Error. Oh, but yeah, here's the question. Is Nomad a villain or is Tan Ru the villain? You see, that's the question. <laughs> no, but like with all great antagonists, Nomad is a tragic character. That's correct. He Nomad didn't ask for the accident. He didn't ask to be combined with the alien probe Tanru. Uh, he is merely trying to survive and do what he's programmed to, you know, uh, to, you know. Uh, Exterminate. Oh, no, it's the Daleks. To, to sterilize, sterilize imperfections <laughs> throughout the galaxy. Yeah. And there's a lot of sterilizing that needs to be done, believe me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's fascinating as we, as we learn about the fate of 
of this poor robot who's just floating around minding his own business and has to destroy some things occasionally. Um, yeah, like whole planetary systems. Sometimes. They were imp- beings. They're imperfect. <laughs> A mass of conflicting impulses. Uh, but is Jackson Roykirk the real antagonist for having created Domain? Look, the, the problem here is that it's nobody's fault. <laughs> It was an accident. It was just an accident. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the original purpose of Tanru was to sterilize soil samples uh, from faraway planets and, and you know, return the, uh, return the results. But I think that it's, it's so cool that such a powerful uh, entity can exist and still be talked to to death by Captain Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes back to what Rob said, because, uh, you know, uh, Nomad is not a villain. It's an antagonist. Yeah, yeah. It is an impediment to our survival, but it is not a villain. <laughs> not a villain. Not a villain. No. But he's, it, it's, you know, it's really, you know, the power that Nomad has, I mean, to erase someone's brain completely uh, with, you know, a mere, you know, ray blast is is amazing and you know right. he killed scotty and brought him back well and then khan academy re-educated ohura right <laughs> oh wait no you wouldn't get that <laughs> but there's you know every time i hear khan academy i think of khan but there's this you know educational online thing called khan academy ah uh, where, where uhura learned uhura like see. got reschooled within like right. a week she was like up to what eighth grade the or something ball is bluey <laughs> well that I, I mean that brings a a you know in all of literature all i think all of the great antagonists are are they always believe they're not doing the wrong thing they always tend to believe that they have they're to, doing the right, right thing or else they're not believable they're cartoony how, how do you guys feel how do you think star trek used villains and and what was it about star trek that look westerns were big and the villains in westerns are pretty clean cut or clear cut but Sometimes. in star trek you know they 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 had all the villains had various shades of gray. All the antagonists well, were. F- look, here's the thing. That's a really good question. Star Trek was at its worst when it had black hats, when it had just a baddie for the sake mm-hmm. of being a baddie. Why is Khan such a great villain? Because he brought the world order. Yeah. He didn't just want to rule. He believed the world he was, was the better right. yeah. under his leadership, and that it was evolution, and yeah. that the eugenically enhanced person woman man whatever judson scott whatever they are 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 inherently superior but you know he had a point of view now obviously he was wrong but he wasn't just like a twirling mustache villain and and that's why mustache at all and then of course what we love about khan is the fact that he wants vengeance for the death of his you know wife he's totally distorted what kirk did you know at the end of spacey he's like what i want is a world to tame you know and he's like excited about this sort of manifest destiny you know we're gonna give him a planet and he's gonna build something and wouldn't it be interesting to see what springs out of that you know and then of course after marla mcgyver's dies he's just you know uh intent on revenge against captain kirk and not just that the world's destroyed his world that he's been given to win was 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 when Seti Alpha Six exploded, his his new world was taken away from him, and as he said, no one bothered to check on our progress. Like I could have gone to another planet, like, but you didn't. Kirk is the villain, really. Yeah. He never put it in his log. He never said send a scout ship to see what's going on, just to keep an eye on things. Nothing. Yeah, you know, it's like he almost buried it in his log. He doesn't want anybody to know they found the Botany yeah. Bay, and uh, you know who's really at fault there. No one knows. We know. 
I don't know. So we've seen the movie all. Well, you know, since you brought up, since we're already talking about Khan. I mean, obviously, is that your favorite antagonist? No. Oh. Uh, you know, I mean, I have a couple of thoughts. Well, first of all, <laughs> there's uh, uh, Stephen Miller's favorite Star Trek character, Melicon. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the, the space Nazi who 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 manipulated John Gill right. into uh, 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 aping uh, the Nazis to destroy the Ekotians. Son of a... I mean, what an ass. And then he comes back in this way to Eden, makes him even worse, even more egregious, <laughs> because he's the, he's in Pans of Forest. The lovely Skip Homeyer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's not really my... my, my <laughs> but uh, I want, wait, since you brought up Khan, I, uh, I just want to finish... You out. don't want to hear my villain? Okay, here, well, cause just because you were talking about Khan, we, you're, what I think was interesting about Khan is he also, as a person, shows... Empathy, like when he talks to Marlon MacGyver's and he says go or stay, like she's clearly enamored of him. But he, he gets her on the ground and you think he's going to do something horrible to her. And he says go or stay, but do it because it is what you wish to do. He says do it because it is what you wish to do. And I, I always thought as a kid, you know, growing up, I'm like, well, that's that's interesting. Like he's right. not he's not just saying he, it's your choice. Yeah. You know, he's offering you a choice. He doesn't want to kill the Enterprise crew members. Yeah. He's like it's he's yeah. frustrated it's when so useless. It's so useless. Yeah, and right. I, he can't he can't even fathom why people would not join yeah. him. Right. You know, we cl- clearly he's superior to Captain Kirk. And plus Marlon MacGyver's who is a loyal member of the crew has suddenly theoretically s- sided with Khan, you know, which look, it's probably one you know, when people say the original show was sexist, that's an example where you can make that case because yeah. you know she's a a, a a a member of the crew you know who suddenly drops everything yeah, and sort of Mary Sue's on yeah. you know the strong powerful right. con old man from although the past. although I must say as you, since you just brought that up she's a historian right she spent her life being a historian and this is the very first time she's probably fantasized about whether it's a man, a woman, anybody who is a great historical right. figure. And here's somebody from the one of the most colorful, as as yeah. and men were more colorful, when Kirk says that. She's tired of the new humans. Yeah, but you 20, know what? You can be fascinated century. and have studied Mussolini or Napoleon your whole life or Stalin, you know, and, and be fascinated if, if suddenly somehow they were recreated. doesn't mean you want to run off and, you know. No, but uh, even, even Kirk says at the beginning, we can admire him. And, and you know, not agree with them at yeah. the same time. You are an excellent tactician, Robert. <laughs> I just think that again, it just it's it's like you said. There's no black hat in Khan in Space Seed. He is not a black hat. Right. He's a very complex, interesting antagonist that I've I've always loved him in that episode. I could watch. I wish they'd made a hundred Space Seeds because uh, just make a show about it's him. So funny when you look at Sam Peoples' draft of Star Trek Two and how he took Khan out and replaced it with these two aliens like the wonder twins right it's like again another time where like sliding doors had that version of Khan been made star trek's over over you know done dead and uh but fortunately nick meyer was smart enough to see the appeal of Khan because even in jack sourd's draft Khan has mastered mind control and is right. you know they're they're battling in castles and on oceans and uh, you know he's the super telepath I mean it's ridiculous I, it's so great that 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 what Nick Meyer was able to do was to sculpt the clay and 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 really get at the heart of what made Khan such a compelling character and then of course Ricardo Montalbán to to re-inhabit that role after all those years yeah. with the coaching, you know, Nick Meyer always tells that great story 
I think he told it to us among the many times he's told it on stage at the Cinematheque. Oh, so you're going to direct me? Yeah, where yeah. where he's broadly over the top, right. and he says he's at an eleven, and he says, you know, yeah, but if if you show them your top, there's nowhere there's else to, to go. go, and so yeah, and he says that famous line, yeah. so you're going to direct me, and he says I need direction, yeah. I can go, and and he brings it down, and he does everything very underplayed, and suddenly it's a performance. Yeah. Now, who is your favorite villain? Well, I'm glad you asked, Rob. <laughs> I've, I've been wrestling with this, with this question. Not Melikon. I, I, I toyed briefly with the idea of the oil slick uh, from Code of Honor. You mean Armas? <laughs> no, that's from Skin of Evil. Did I say Skin of Evil? Did I say Code of Honor meant from yeah. Skin of Evil? Yes. You say you are true evil. Shall I tell you what true evil is? It is to submit to you. It is when we surrender our freedom. Our dignity instead of defying you. The <laughs> evil oil slick, which brutally killed Tashiar, but since Tashiar did come back, um, I, I guess uh, um, uh, I'm not going to go with Arnold. He's literally a black hat. He's all hat. I see what you did there. Um, Mirror Kirk, but we didn't really see enough of him for him to resonate. You know, I love the scene where he's put in the brig. You want credits? I can get those too. You want your own ship? All fantastic. But but again, you know what? What do we remember about Mirror Mirror? We remember Mirror Spock. Right. We don't remember Mirror Kirk. You know, Val. He's just a big. He's just a big dumb lump rock computer. <laughs> <laughs> now you know we start to get to the real, the real villains. The Doomsday Machine. Does it qualify? Probably not. It's it's probably the best Star Trek automation. You know, uh, <laughs> right. best Star Trek uh, uh, weapon. Um, you know, it doesn't really have personality. I need personality in my villains. <laughs> uh, I do love the Doomsday Machine. It's one of my favorite episodes, but uh, it doesn't have personality. But you know who did have personality? Kodos the Executioner. Well, this is true. And this is a guy. Who, I'm tired. Who, uh, who literally killed half the population of Tarsus IV <laughs> to, 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 you know... Uh, you know, and then the, the, who knew the supply ships were going to come early? No one, no one knew. But he had to make Stuart the important Moss. Decisions. Stuart Moss? No, not no, Stuart uh, Moss. Uh, um, Arnold Moss. Arnold Moss. I'm sorry, Stuart Morris was somebody else. Yeah. Uh, was was um, what's his Riley or something? No, who was he? Stuart Moss. I, it doesn't I matter. I don't know who you're Arnold about. Moss is 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 wonderful. In conscience as of the king. Anton Caridian. And another truly tragic character who's haunted by the sins of his past. And a crazy daughter. And a crazy daughter. Oh my God. But, but even uh, Kirk could smell the crazy on her. <laughs> but again, <laughs> but again, though that character was was his whole colony was dying. Everybody was gonna die right. of yeah. famine. Everybody was gonna die. And he made a horrible choice. We we execute half the colonists so the other half can live. I don't know if that was that was a very Thanos choice. <laughs> it, it, it's Infinity War before there was Infinity War. Right. I mean, he was gonna, instead of snapping his fingers, he was going to execute half the colonists yeah. in order to save the other half. It was exactly the same thing that Thanos was trying to do in Infinity War, um, only on a universal scale, and he succeeded. And just like Kodos the Executioner, he succeeded it's as well. It's so funny because when you think about it, it's the same story. It's exactly the same story. Yeah, you know, and I, I wonder if when the original comic book writers who created uh, the Infinity War storyline, story and Rob, you probably can tell me who that was. Um, <laughs> Jim Starlin? 
James, Jim Starlin, right, of course. Um, oh, I'm just looking up Stuart Moss because it was really bothering me. Moss. Moss, yeah. He, you know, he died um, September 13th, 2017, and he played, um, he was in The Naked Time. He was Joe, uh, he was Joe in The Naked Time. That's who Stuart Moss was. Joe, uh, uh, Joe Tormolin. Yeah, look at the thing with the hand. Right. You know, the, the, the hand had its own sting. Yeah, that was, that was pretty great. But I think, though, <laughs> that, that that's exactly what makes Star Trek antagonists great, is because they're usually either tragic or they fervently well, believe. From their point of view, they're correct. Well, at that time, I mean, based on his knowledge, it probably wasn't the best course of action, but he did save half the colony. And it all didn't die. But, you know, right. he turned his um, poor daughter into a Looney Tunes. Well, he didn't do it on purpose. Yeah, I mean, God, it's like, you know, when she was done with Ironside, I, <laughs> God, I, 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 that performance Ironside she gives. Ironside was afterwards. God, that performance she gives at the end. A floating tomb. I, I just like, <laughs> you turn so the into a God, she's. They're awed by I your mean, greatness. we've all had ex-girlfriends like that, right? You're shining <laughs> I know you have, Rob. <laughs> well, but yeah, they were fun. Uh, I think, though, that, that again, Lenore Caridian is, is really ends up being the true villain of, yeah. that, of that, because she's the murderer. Murderer, you know, right. she's the. He at least feels guilty Avenger. for what he's done. She's the Avenger. She's trying to cover up the sins of the past, yeah. the and father. you can't wash them away. <laughs> but you know, I got to tell you, I fooled you all because Kodos the Executioner is not my pick. Oh. Do you want to hear my real pick? I don't yes. know. Do we? <laughs> you probably don't. <laughs> uh, but seriously, uh, my real pick because you know, I, to me, it epitomizes the banality of evil. Because you know, when we look at the Nazis, you know, it's like. It was it was the people that kept the trains running on time. It, w- it wasn't just the leadership, but it was the people that 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 maintained this uh, this 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 evil. You know, it's very easy to not stand up to evil when we see it and just go along and 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 not call it out and not make the hard decisions. So my choice for Star Trek's greatest antagonist is a non seven. <laughs> I'm not interested in discussing our differences. You don't seem to realize the risk you're taking. We don't make war with computers and herd the casualties into suicide stations. We make the real thing, Council. I could destroy this planet. Why do you think I don't let you talk to your ship? I don't need the ship for that. You mean all by yourself with a disruptor? You can destroy this planet. That's exactly what I mean. I had no idea you were so formidable. Uh, Taste of Armageddon. Wow. Administrator um, of... Aminiar. Uh, of of, um, Aminiar, who was fighting seven. the Vendicans. Now, of course, in the Taste of Armageddon, one of the cheesier-looking episodes, which is among Star Trek's greatest episodes, but people can't see sometimes past the production values. Um, this is the episode in which uh, the Enterprise... Uh, becomes a war casualty in a war that is being fought by computers between Aminiar and Vendikar. And um, basically, in order to avoid destroying their civilization, the war war is fought by computers. And people are told by computers that they are casualties and they step into a disintegration chamber. And they're spared the horrors, as Captain Kirk says, of, of real 
war and the Enterprise becomes a casualty and they expect the Enterprise to just beam down and we will spare your ship if possible, but the crew is already dead. Well, not to Captain Kirk. And, you know, Captain Kirk decides, you know, hell with the prime directive. He's going to, you know, uh, put an end to it. And in one of the probably greatest scenes in the history of of Star Trek, uh, certainly one of the great Shatner speeches of all time, you know, he gives the speech about war as a thing to be avoided. Right. Man is a killer species, but he can say, we're not going to kill today. Yeah. Just admitting that we're killer species, but that we won't kill today. Well, that episode's also horrifying because they've made war something that you can live with. Yeah. And and it's it's manageable. The the deaths of millions of people year after year, that ep- that war has been going on for how long? Uh, you know, year after set, bloody year. <laughs> I mean, not, yeah. <laughs> nothing is happening and uh, uh, there's no they have no reason to stop this war. Yeah. And and that's that was horrifying. That you meet, you know, lovely people, uh, B- Barbara Babcock, mm-hmm. right? The first yeah, time you yeah, meet her. Street Blues. And she she you meet a lovely woman, a lovely citizen of a Meniar, and uh, citizen. she she gets to go into a disintegration booth, and you're supposed to watch somebody you actually have come to like, right? And she's just going to walk into a disintegration booth, and th- her life will be snuffed out, and it's really horrifying. It's horrifying, and you know the thing is again, you know, I just feel like with that episode, you know, the sets are a little cheesy, the weapons, you know, um, uh, the war room. Uh, so you know, people are like, ah, oh, this is the idea behind that episode is one of the great science fiction concepts of all time. You know, it's like uh, this war fought by computers, and um, it really gets to the heart of you know, particularly at the time the Vietnam War was going on, that it was statistics on the local news of crime cases. You know, today six thousand people died in Vietnam, um, and 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 it had lost its potency, and uh, you know, sometimes we forget. You know, 50 years later when we're watching these episodes, what they meant at the time and, and how powerful they were as allegory and as metaphor for contemporary situations. But we also have the representative of the Federation, Ambassador Fox, oh, who is he's the worst. almost equally uh, culpable. God, he's so true. Wow. I hadn't thought about that. Ambassador Fox, that, what do you call him, that mealy mouth diplomat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That Poppin' J. Fox? Poppin' J. Fox. <laughs> we'll show them what the starship can really do. Yeah, and, it says, and it's one of the great Scotty scenes, too, Yeah, where he says, you know, I'm not going to drop the shield. I won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and until I get the uh, the order from yeah. Captain Kirk, you know, and it's, it's, it's like it's so great because the original series really had a series of these mid-level bureaucrats who right. were all, you know, Niels Barris, uh, yeah. Fox, who, you know, the, the, the woman in Metamorphosis, so Scott Mance was here, he could, you know, get to lecture next hour about Commissioner Commissioner Hedford. 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 Um, but so many of these who were just, you know, um, just wrongheaded in terms of yeah. uh, uh, well, they, they were they were network executives. They were network executives. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That, that wasn't it. Um, and then, you know, you hear on Inside Star Trek, the record album, Gene yeah. just go off at length about, you know, how much he loathed network executives. And you could see his his, his venom. And, you know, it's funny because we'll have to talk about one day uh, the late Stanley Robertson, who was the one of the first African-American network executives, who was the executive on Star Trek, mm. who actually deserves a lot of credit. He, he was the one who was arguing for a lot more planet shows and right. who, who really believed in Star Trek and was um, brought, brought a lot to the show. That uh, is lost in the annals of history, particularly with Gene, you know, sort of lambasting the anonymous network. Stanley mm-hmm. Robertson was was really the definition of a of, of a network suit who who 
was contributed a lot, yeah. who was on the team for the big win, right. and who protected the show from people above who didn't have the same respect. But even if you look in the archives, Mort Werner, who was the head of NBC at the time, um, you know, talks about sent a letter to Gene saying how much his wife loves the show and how much he loves, the, you know, how how much respect they had for the show. So. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can see you saying, Robert Fox, I'm going to stick with Anon 7 because <laughs> Anon 7 facilitated that war. He continued to look evil in the face and did nothing to stop it. Whereas Fox was just a, a you know, he was just a fool. <laughs> well, that that's true. Um, but is Anon 7 looking evil in the face if both sides can live with it? Yeah, is it evil? It is evil because... Basically, he was maintaining the status quo that was inherently um, evil. People, millions of people were dying on both planets to preserve the status quo. And someone needed to have the courage to step up and say, this will not stand. We we need to stop stop this. We need to, uh, you know, and he's not just guilty. It's everyone on the council and everyone on Vendicar, you know, but they needed to stand up and and resist the status quo and change things for the better because this was just going to go on. People were just going to step into disintegration chambers and, 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 and uh, uh, you know, all for what? To protect the buildings, protect the well, art, protect the... But here's... I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second. If the people of these planets don't fight against it, are they worth saving? Well, who knows if they did? You know, who knows what kind of actions were going on? We didn't see that in the episode because it was only 47 minutes. But, um, you know, maybe there were were rebels on the planet that were fighting against this. Maybe. Who were resisting go stepping into disintegration chambers. If they were, then I think that changes my opinion. But since we didn't see them... I can only go by what I've seen in the episode. Well, I, I we only saw one city. We, you know, there's a whole planet there. I can't imagine they're all just going into disintegration chambers as though it's it's fine. Apparently, they are though. That's that's why the the war has lasted this long. Well, I, I don't know. See, this I, is a, to me this is a fascinating conversation. Yeah. I, I I've always I've always loved this episode, but these kinds of ethics are exactly why Star Trek has endured. Right. These kinds of discussions because it exactly raises wise. questions like this. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think you're right. I mean, the entire planet, both planets, are complicit in in this war, and they've come to it's stabilized their culture. Right. They've they've used systematic the systematic destruction of a certain amount of their culture. Probably it helps to balance the economy. It balances yeah. out because it's rich and poor. They, it, it's it's not like you you can't have bone spurs and not get. Not have to right. go to Vietnam, I, right? Or I can't go to the disintegration chamber because I have bone spurs. No, it's it's everybody. <laughs> everybody. The, the, it was the great equalizer of this of this society. Everybody gets disintegrated equally. Rich, the poor, we're all the same now. Yeah, yeah. But, you know. But and it also asks the question: If a law is unjust, do we have a moral imperative to stand up and fight against yeah, absolutely. it? Absolutely. You know. So again, but it's, but it's the responsibility of the people that it's happening to to fight against it. Maybe so. But I'm just saying that this is the kind of message, these are the kinds of questions that Star Trek was asking in the Absolutely. 60s Absolutely. that I think we are hungry for today more than ever when there's so many ethical and moral questions that we as uh, uh, not just a country but as a world globally are wrestling with. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to ignore those things is, is, is not honoring the, the the traditions of the richness of Star Trek and what really Star Trek was built on. Well, what's what's even I think even worse is when those episodes were coming out. We as Americans, because it was first on American television, mm-hmm. we all agreed for the most part what right and wrong was. You know, we understood that 
that there were certain moral and ethical principles that defined us as a nation. Uh, but now we're in a place where things like universal health care are debated. That is, are profits more important than people's health? Or or isn't isn't the, the, the health of our nation, shouldn't that come first and foremost? Shouldn't that be a national security issue? We now debate over how do we take care of our own people? Well, and then to also try and sublimate something like the study of global warming, which is so important to understand its implications and how to deal with it, and say, well, we don't like what it says and how it's going to affect industry and the economy. So we're going to just, we're, we're going to silence that discussion, which is, you know, which is appalling. But what I, I did want to say was um, what's so interesting to me is looking at all the choices that everybody's made, you know, other than, con- you know, we didn't talk about any Klingons or any Romulans. And right. it's sort of really interesting because if you look at like Kang, you know, that's a super fun episode, Day of the Dove. Right. But it doesn't mean anything. What's strong or good or evil? You know, it's the right. same thing as Savage Curtain. I love that. I can watch that episode all day long. But, you know, we're not talking about, you know, the the rock from the Savage Curtain. Right. You know, Your it's name. all these more complex characters, these antagonists, if you will, right. uh, that have, have fascinated us. Yeah, and Kor from uh, 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 the first Klingon episode. Aaron right. of Mercy. Aaron of Mercy. Uh, what's great right. about it, you talk such about such a great character, such Absolutely. a great character, and those both of those portrayals of Klingons. At you, what I've always found interesting about those is is by the end of the episode, Kirk's basically friends with them both. Yeah, you know, and they 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 they're they're they're, they're simpatico. They're, they're, it's definitely that Rommel. I read your book, you magnificent. Uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> you know, and and. And when Kor and, and 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 Kirk, they're both angry that the that the Organians have stopped their war. How right. great is that? It, it's it would so have been great. Glorious. Kirk and Kirk and the, and, and Kor are are they're about disappointed. To, they're, they're disappointed. They're about to yell at these aliens for stopping the war, and <laughs> they're swept. You don't up have the right, the, but we have the right. They're you swept have the right. up in the jingoism, <laughs> you know. Of, of and so they're arguing for the right to wage war, right. and then suddenly realize. What the hell are we doing? Right, is, and and, and yeah. the great moment when when Kor says. Yeah, you know, we probably shouldn't have had a war, but if we did, it would have been glorious. <laughs> I mean, it's so, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. no, very, very, very much so. And then, um, uh, you know, it's it's tough uh, to look. You know, we, we, you know, one of the things we haven't looked at, we talked about Deep Space Nine. It was a very complex show. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, we talked about the skin of evil. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we we we. But um, you know, uh, you know, Lore is not a character that I find particularly compelling in Next Generation as an antagonist. Um, I, you know, I think that is Q an antagonist. Q to me is a foil. Mm-hmm. You know, less than an antagonist. I I love Q. I loved him when he was named Trelane too. That's right. Um, but uh, you know, I thought he's a, he's a great character. And John Delancey is sensational. Absolutely. Just as William Campbell was uh, great as as as. as um, but uh, you know, looking at Voyager and Enterprise, you know, who are the characters that stand out? Um, I'm thinking. Well, I I think again. You know, Shran had an antagonistic relationship yes. with Archer. Shran was a great character. Great, great character. I mean, they tried to create the Sulaban and 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 make them. The, there's Future Man, who's manipulating events that we never find out who Future Man actually is. Well, they just abandoned that whole storyline. I mean, the whole show was built on this temporal war, and then when they decided that wasn't working out, it was going to instead become this attack, terrorist attack on Earth. And then the, the temporal thing was like completely. And then it's you know, so the, weird. I mean, the Zindi. It was interesting to have this whole society be suddenly become a season-long villain. Right. But 
we never then it became just we didn't learn enough about them there was not more star trek always works best when whatever conflict is happening between the antagonists and our heroes there is some kind of a moral and ethical question mm -hmm. that the audience itself can be wrapped up in and be asking themselves what would i do right where am I coming from? How do I feel about all of this? And if you're just watching a a, a show, an episode where, like, there's an evil species, like 8472 yeah. from yeah. the fluidic space universe, it's like there's nothing there there. It's just right. they're just bad. Yeah. And then it becomes not that interesting. Well, you know who I like? I like uh, the Intendant, uh, evil Mira Kira from uh. Uh, Deep Space Nine, Mirror Universe. She's just a lot of, you know, Mira Kira. Mira Kira. <laughs> Say that three times fast. Well, speaking about mirror people, I, I liked em who became Empress Sato. You oh, know? that's a great choice. You yeah. know, when you see Hoshi Sato in, in her mirror version about how she'll sleep. She jumps from one bed to the next, depending on who's going to be captain. You want to get rid of my lover, I'll, but you're going to be captain now. I'll, I'll follow you. Well, it's so funny because Linda Park had a thankless role. She didn't really make much of an impression in it, 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 all those seasons. And then it's like, where did this character come from? Because she's so good in the, so that two-parter. And it's such a great character. And she's having so much fun chewing the scenery. And it's like, really... Um, they were unleashed, all of them, even Bakula, you know, comes to life in that two-parter, whereas, you know, yeah, I wasn't really seeing it before that, you know, really fascinating. I mean, that two-parter, is, is it, it really was terrific. Um, you know, Peter Weller, late in the Enterprise run, is an interesting character. Right. With the sort of xenophobic, anti-alien First Earth movement, mm. which uh, sadly is too relevant these days. Um uh, I'm, you know, again, I, I come back to Voyager, and I'm really, I'm, I'm really, you know, you could argue that Seven of Nine began as an antagonist and became our friend, and you know that was a really a multifaceted character. Well, certainly, Kate Mulgrew felt she was an antagonist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in real life, exactly. <laughs> well, it was again like as much as I, I've come to appreciate Voyager, there was a lot of episode villain. Epi there were less, there were more villains on Voyager than there were antagonists because. Mm. They had these sort of evil aliens every episode that would show up and, right. and, and be bad. Right. But you didn't get to – the stories wouldn't support – there was no moral or ethical dilemma. They were just – they were being doing bad things to the crew. Yeah. And, you know, the healthcare system in that one episode where they steal the doctor – I think it's called Critical Care. Mm -hmm. You know, where they but but again, that another was, really imaginative title. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but you know, I keep, I keep coming back to the original series because do no harm. Perhaps. The the uh, again, the Horda in Devil yeah. in the oh, Dark God. begins as yeah. as uh, Schmitter. Burnt you to know, a crisp. This poor alien creature is killing Starfleet officers hapless, or, or hapless miners on Janus 6, you know, and just killing, killing, killing. And then you find out at the end, she's a mother yeah. protecting her children. Isn't the Horda really our ultimate Star Trek antagonist? Doesn't that define and epitomize everything about does. Star Trek? This awful, heinous-looking creature that is, you know, basically incinerating our crew, our red shirts only to find out it's a mother protecting that's Star Trek in one big package that's yeah. like to pow I mean it's just <laughs> it's all of Star Trek in one episode yeah. you know in much the way that the keeper uh, Balok uh, you know uh, uh, you know defined it in Corbomite 
you know, the idea that, oh my God, this horrendous Ted Cassidy voiced uh, creature is 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 this horrible this villain. Little, this little dude. To re- yeah. reveal, uh, you know, oh, it's Clint Howard. We have nothing to be scared of. It's just Ron Howard's brother, you know? <laughs> no, but th- that's what I mean. I, the, the, the antagonists. Well, Rob, I think you called it at the very beginning of this podcast. You said this is not a show about villains. This is a show about antagonists. And it certainly was. I think we only uh, scratched the tip of the iceberg, but... Boy, what a what a great way to sort of relive some of Star Trek's greatest moments by talking about some of its greatest antagonists. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this I'm is, delighted. <laughs> is the captain here? <laughs> is Mister Spock here? Uh, is Brad here? I'm uh, I'm I'm so thrilled that you could join us again for for this episode. And I want to remind you that you can all follow us on Twitter and Instagram and keep the conversation going at Inglorious Trek. We'd love to hear your ideas for future episodes of this podcast, as well as if if they're villains or antagonists that we missed. Um, we'd love to hear what you have to think. So uh, please engage with us on um, <laughs> Inglorious Trek at Twitter and Instagram. We're also on Facebook, um, but you won't find us on Friendster. And uh, if you're a fan of uh, Star Trek Discovery, please don't miss our new podcast uh, with some exciting hosts, uh, not us, on uh, Disco Nights, uh, with new episodes premiering every Sunday night, wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, finally, we'd like a very special thanks to everyone here at Electric Studios, and especially our engineer, Bill Ritter, for making this show possible. So on behalf of Robert, Darren, and myself, may your way be as pleasant. Let's see what's out there. Shh. Good night, sweetheart All my prayers are for you sweetheart I'll be watching all